Are you a member of more than one recovery program? How do you balance them? How do they support each other? How do you keep them separate? Welcome to episode 326 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Molly, Sly, Candy, and Angela. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Molly, Sly, Candy, and Angela, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like, and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I'm going to start with a short reading from the pamphlet titled Al-Anon Spoken Here, which is a series of sort of frequently asked questions and answers, I guess. The question, I am also a member of another anonymous program. Recently, I was asked not to discuss it at our Al-Anon meetings. Why? Answer. Our meeting discussions do not include any other program or fellowship. When we talk about our experience of becoming sober, drug-free, or how we stopped overeating or gambling, we take away from the Al-Anon focus. In Al-Anon, we focus on our common experience, having been affected by someone else's alcoholism, and our recovery by giving and receiving mutual aid based only on that common experience. Those of us who are members of other anonymous programs avoid openly revealing this at meetings, concentrating instead on the Al-Anon approach to the family illness of alcoholism. A listener suggested this topic of dual program members, or I think as the listener put it, double winners, a while back. And I asked for your sharing of your experience. And I'll tell you what, you responded in spades. Thank you all. I'm going to start with a voicemail from Diana. Hey Spencer, it's Diana in Nevada. There was a gentleman who spoke about being a double winner and it being challenging, not feeling like you totally found your tribe. I can totally relate to his situation. He mentioned frustration about not feeling like there's a spot for his situation. There have been times where I've been in meetings where Al-Anon could apply to more than just alcohol, but I personally felt excluded because my situation involves more than just alcohol. Stepdad dealt with dope, sister alcohol, father drugs. I deal with addiction and then my mom has a mental illness. So we're all just kind of jacked up. (laughs) I would basically give him advice to say, continue attending Al-Anon, but also look for other ways to fill in the gaps, such as support groups. Therapy was huge for me. I think church can also be beneficial for some people. So that you're not just getting those tools in Al-Anon alone, but you're reaching in other areas. For me, honestly, the the therapy was really one of the biggest things that helped me tremendously and continues to help me. There is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, and they have a lot of good resources, grief support groups, of course, Overeaters Anonymous, NAAA, as I said, therapy and church. And then for me, in my experience, I've gotten a lot out of the Melody Beattie books, and there are several adult children books. There's one for dysfunctional families, one for emotionally immature parents. Even the adult children of alcoholics book, I got quite a lot out of. So just wanted to share those resources with him and 
let him know there are other people just like him who feel the same way. All right. Take care. Bye. Hey, Spencer. It's Stacy calling from Maryland. Actually, I'm calling you from California where I'm here on work right now. I've just been listening to the Being Heard episode and wanted to thank you so much for the messages. That, to me, has been the greatest gift of Al-Anon is being in a meeting where I can share what's happening in my life, and it has helped me actually identify what my feelings were about things. It, it took me a while to actually even identify uh, what those feelings were as I was in a pretty frozen state as a result of the circumstances my life uh, evolved into. But I'm in a fresh place after about six months of the program, for which I'm really grateful. My uh, husband and I are going to be separating, and uh, we've been able to work through it in a civil and kind way. And many of the tools in the program and many of the people in the program have helped me navigate these waters, which leads me to you wanted comments about men in the program, and I wanted to share that there are two men in, in one of my uh, family groups uh, that have been very helpful. One shared the book, The Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage, with me, and uh, his sharing and the book itself was tremendously helpful as I worked through things. The other topic you wanted feedback on was dual programs or multiple programs. Through Al-Anon, I discovered Debtors Anonymous, and that has been a program where I have gained so much self-awareness and self-esteem in an area that became very unmanageable. And my step work in Al-Anon and in Better Anonymous has really enriched my understanding of the steps and applying the steps to my all of my affairs. Being in Debtors Anonymous led me to actively participating in that program, but I did uh, pick up some of the literature and have found a very uh, effortless and supportive way of just living healthier in the new year. So I guess I'm a triple program person at this point. I don't usually refer to those other programs in meetings because those references have often been met with later people saying we should make reference to other programs. Hi, Spencer. This is Kathy O. from Southern California. I just wanted to share on being a dual program person. That would be me. I start my week on Mondays with my Al-Anon meeting and I bookend my week on Fridays with my ACA meeting, and they're both super important. In between, if I could get to, usually it's another Al-Anon meeting or a podcast or um, I meet with either a sponsee or my own sponsor in either meeting, uh, that is what my goal is to hit my 12-step program, one or the other, at least three to four times a week. They're very different programs, but very important, and they serve different purposes in my life. When I'm at an Al-Anon meeting, I, I still have people that are actively drinking in my life, so sharing from that experience and using the tools to deal with that in my life is so helpful. 
and listening is really important. I come across the spiritual solutions to living with and active drinking. So that's kind of I'm listening and sharing and garnishing information more from that experience and also from growing up with active drinking too and how the disease affects the dynamics in a family or in relationships. On the other side, when I go to my ACA meeting, they don't seem to be as stringent. And and Alan and I don't refer to my other 12-step program or my ACA program. I share from my experience in Al-Anon only, but in ACA, sometimes I will share, and their traditions don't seem to be as stringent as to, like, you can't even mention another 12-step program. Sometimes I refer to my Al-Anon program in ACA, or I say I started there, and that, you know, opened my mind to further seeking help in specific areas in my growing up with alcoholism. But then I share from my experience and continue to share from my experience in ACA. I don't make my viewpoint or topic when I'm in one program about the other program. So that's my share. And once again, thank you for all the wonderful topics that you provide us with. Thanks, Spencer. Bye. Hey, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast calling with regards to your dual program membership podcast that you're planning on doing. I am not a dual program member, but I did have an experience that was kind of interesting. I had someone come to me and ask me if I would sponsor them. I said yes. As we got into sharing with each other, I found out that they were a dual program member. And then a while later, and this definitely falls under gossip, somebody said to me, well, you know, so-and-so wouldn't accept this person as a sponsee because they were using pot and their dual program was AA. And it took me about not very long at all, but I just thought, you know, that's not my business. It's not my business whether anybody is following their other program tenants or how successful they are. If they want to share about it, they can. But I felt pretty strongly that there's no reason why I should require sobriety on her part for her to be involved and have a sponsee. That seems seems counter to the program tenants. So um, just an FYI, there you have it. It's a thought. And uh, thank you very much again for your service. Hey, Spencer, this is Pat from the West Coast. Following up my last comment about sponsoring and people who are in more than one recovery program, you know how you make a comment and then you can't remember what you said specifically. And then I had an interesting conversation with another friend of mine. And I didn't mean that everybody who's asked to sponsor has to say yes. You know, we were talking about it. You know, maybe someone who's in AA and is still using pot is a trigger for somebody else. So, you know, we we all have the right to say no when we're asked to sponsor for whatever reason. 
we need to make the right choice for ourselves. But at the same time, I just wanted to say, I didn't want people thinking that just because they're not completely, quote, sober or, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's Overeaters Anonymous or AA or anything else, you know, that just because they're not 100% in some other program, they can't have a sponsor and they can't participate fully in Al-Anon. As far as I know, AA doesn't require people to be sober to be in AA. (laughs) That would be counterproductive. And so by the same token, I don't personally require my sponsees to be anything other than willing to work the Al-Anon program with me if I have said yes to them. So, I mean, if they've asked me to sponsor and I'm able to. Anyway, hope that helps in terms of clarification. I feel really strongly about this, obviously. And as always, thank you so much for your service. And I really appreciate all the input from all the other people who call in. That is so helpful. Even with 14, almost 15 years in the program, it's remarkably helpful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Mark, a long-time listener. I, I really appreciate your work and, and sharing, Spencer. I'm calling about that double winner topic. I am not one myself. I'm an Al-Anon member, but I've been surprised over the years how in almost every meeting there turns out to be a lot of double winners. And the first group conscious meeting I ever attended was one of the Al-Anon members called it because of this concern about dialogue between or among double winners, so that we were losing that singleness of purpose that they talk about in the opening. And I didn't really find it that disturbing or, or distracting at all to myself, but it did make me think about that singleness of purpose aspect. And the, the truth is I don't go to and never have gone to open AA meetings, so I really did have an interest, and I think I had a benefit in hearing a little bit of that perspective, even when it was confined mostly to the Alan side of the room. The other thing I would say is, and I, I only thought of this when I heard you mention this topic, is there is another part of the opening that says that singleness of purpose does not include to gossip or criticize an alcoholic, any of our qualifiers. And over the years, as I've shared the rooms with these double winners, without being conscious of it, they've made me much more compassionate, and they've given me an understanding into my own uh, qualifiers that I, I don't think I otherwise would have ever gotten to. So that's a real benefit for Al-Anon keeping its doors open, you know, even if it does have to sometimes gently set boundaries. That's all I got, and thanks again for your service. Molly wrote, Hi, Spencer. I recently found your show. Through a series of unfortunate events, I'm without a car and taking the bus. It's about a 40-minute ride, morning and evening, so I decided to make full use of that time by listening to podcasts. Hence, your show came into my life. I love it and want to comment on dual programs. I started in recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. I found Al-Anon through my current sponsor after my divorce. I find when I'm struggling with my own issues, I reach out for OA material, things like self-esteem, self-discipline, anxiety, and self-care. When I'm struggling with others, Al-Anon is my go-to. Boundaries, control, trust, and basically when I'm interfacing with others and getting triggered by that interaction. I'm so grateful to have both perspectives in my life. 
I have no issues commingling because when I'm in either meeting, I understand why I'm there from the above criteria. My addiction side wants behavior without consequences, is self-absorbed, and can wallow in self-pity. My enabling side wants to control others, can struggle with expectations and disappointment, and has a defect of advice giving. Ego is active in both sides. Both programs help me tremendously, and I thank my higher power every day that I have every side of myself covered by programs. Hope this helps. Blessings, Molly and Santa Barbara. Hello, Spencer and all at the Recovery Show. Thank you so much for this topic on being in two programs. And Monday night's show was really, really great, really useful to me and full of a lot of really helpful ideas and also places where I really resonated and felt that I felt that recovery within my own journey and it helps me value how far I have come on my own to hear you and your guests stories. I am an adult child and I grew up in a household with alcoholism and drug abuse and neglect and also love and creativity and joy and, and neglect and addiction and abandonment and abuse. So it's, it's taken me a long time to kind of come to the place where I was comfortable going back and revisiting that for a lot of my younger life. And I'm in my early fifties now. I've operated under the assumption that if I just went forth and lived my life the best I could and was the best person I could be, you know, raised my kids better than my parents had raised me, was more present for my kids, gave them what I never got, etc. that all that pain would go away and it would be okay. I didn't need to revisit it. Of course, as people in recovery know, that's not possible. And I kept repeating patterns, you know, patterns of getting involved in dysfunctional relationships with addicts or lost people who needed rescuing. And I became extremely codependent, very controlling, perfectionistic, judgmental, all that stuff. And, and busied myself for decades focusing on other people and not achieving my own dreams. You know, I mean, I got myself to the, a place where after dropping out of high school and, and getting into drugs and alcohol myself as a teenager, I managed to go back to school and I got a bachelor's degree and I got a pretty good job and, and looked on the outside like I was achieving things, but I knew I was nowhere near achieving what I knew I was capable of or feeling fulfilled in any way. Instead, what I was using all my extra bandwidth on was managing everyone around and making sure that they followed my orders because, of course, I was the only one who knew how this life ought to go. So fast forward through a couple of relationships with addicts. I was in a marriage for 17 years with someone who I enabled also to become progressively more and more of an alcoholic. Towards the end of our relationship, I just really looked up one day and realized how unhappy I was and how unhappy he was. And the fantasy that I had of building a home for my kids was not coming true. (laughs) I was just so sad. I was so lost and so sad and just felt completely hopeless. Early on in my teenage years and early 20s, people had suggested that I go to Al-Anon and, or ACA, and I just wholeheartedly rejected any of that. I don't need that stuff, and I didn't believe in God or any of that, so I didn't have any frame of reference for it. But I got to the point where I 
was so miserable that I just, I didn't even know which end was up. So even without program, I, I was able to know that I need to start with myself. So I quit drinking myself, even though I wouldn't describe my drinking as problematic. It probably was to its own degree, but I was certainly numbing myself with alcohol and food and unhealthy lifestyles. So I got into taking care of my body, got into some therapy and just started to look at myself. Like how much happiness can I find by just taking care of myself? So I got myself to a much better place just by doing that. And then I looked around and went, wow, my life's still really broken. And I could see that I needed more. My husband at the time was not interested in changing his drinking life. So I had a spiritual awakening walking my dog one morning where I just said, I can't hold all this myself. I just really got it. I can't do this alone. And I went back to an ACA meeting that I had been to once or twice, just dropped in, tried it out, but I needed it so badly. I just fell into the couch in the corner and just sobbed and sobbed through the entire meeting (laughs) and sobbed through about the first 10 meetings I went to. I just got really into it. I got really into the, the literature, the, the laundry list that was read, of course, was like my story. And so the relief of being in a room with others who had suffered the way I had and hearing their experience, strength and hope stories was very inspiring. It was terrifying to speak up and speak out and to start to look back at my past and take things apart and acknowledge my wrongs and the wrongs of others on me and to look at that with honesty and to find forgiveness in that journey. So I started attending ACA and then I really got that I needed something specific around my relationship with my husband. And so I started attending Al-Anon at the same time and I found it hard to navigate doing two programs at once. For one thing, I found that Al-Anon, at least the Al-Anon meeting I was going to, there was a lot of rejection of other programs. You know, it's like basically it's AA, it's Al-Anon and that's it. There was even some members in Al-Anon, my Al-Anon group that, that kind of ridiculed other programs, particularly the adult child program. So that was really difficult for me because I had found such solace in ACA for myself. But I needed really specific tools for dealing with an active alcoholic human being in my home currently. <laughs> and I felt like Al-Anon offered that. And there was a lot of people there who were really in that same exact position. And I found a lot of uh, fellowship there. So I got involved in Al-Anon in that way. I had worked the steps in ACA separately. So I did not work the steps in Al-Anon. It just became kind of my my place to go and, and find fellowship with others who are suffering with this and finding ways forward and ways to experience loving detachment and to give up the habits of control and turn it over to higher power, all the things <laughs> I found that in Al-Anon. And I got the courage to end my relationship and my marriage, which was really, really painful and scary. But Al-Anon gave me the strength I needed to, to take care of myself and to take care of my children and know there was nothing I could do to change his habits and I could not live with him anymore. So Al-Anon was tremendously helpful in just being a support system for me to make that decision. 
in reinventing my life with recovery and with new horizons and new paths before me and out from underneath of the shadow of an alcoholic, I have found greater depths of joy and peace and surrender and gratitude. I have tools now, thanks in particular to my ACA program and fellow travelers in that program. I have tools now to to know when I'm triggered what that means and what to do to stop reacting and start acting <laughs> or not acting at all if the situation doesn't call for that. I understand how I hold trauma in my body. I acknowledge without shame that I have PTSD from childhood. And that's still hard for me to say because I feel like PTSD belongs to soldiers, you know, and why am I claiming that? But the truth is I, I have triggers. I have flashbacks. I have fight or flight. I have moments when I'm frozen and I can't speak you know, less and less all the time with thanks to recovery and, and to knowing that I have to grieve. I have to grieve my losses. Grief is key for adult children and reintegration of my, my inner children who were severed from me, you know, in moments of trauma and welcoming them back home has been the most healing part of all of this. And so I'm finding that I am now reaching for those parts of myself that I never actualized because I was so busy fussing over other people and trying to control other people. I am exploring kind of creative ventures and and bigger visions for myself and my life and my future than I ever thought possible. And so much of that involves surrender and giving it up to my higher power and changing the things I can and knowing what they are. (laughs) It's not other people. It's myself, and often it's my higher power who will do the changing if I just let it go. So I will let it go there. Speaking of letting it go, I will echo your co-host's statement in saying that recovery has made me a better parent, a better partner, a better daughter, a better coworker. All of those things uh, are coming true. And I thank the program. I thank the recovery show also for adding such a great layer to my recovery journey. So I could go on and on for the rest of my life about how awesome recovery is and how I do feel like I'll just leave with this on the subject of having two programs. ACA is my home group. It is my home program. It is what I absolutely define as my spiritual practice. Al-Anon is my lifeline. When I have issues with my ex-husband around his drinking and how that's impacting my kids, uh, when I don't know where to turn anymore and I and I just can't hold it anymore, I don't know what the right answers are, I turn to Al-Anon. I go to a meeting. <clears throat> I find strength in the fellowship and I turn it over in that space to my higher power. So that is how my two programs work together. And I am so grateful for all, all of it. Signing off there, I'm Jess in California. Gina wrote, Hi Spencer, thank you for this insightful podcast. It has really helped me in my recovery journey. I wanted to send my feedback in for the episode about people and two 12-step programs. I'm a grateful member of ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and CODA, Codependence Anonymous. 
I started in Al-Anon, and I'm grateful for all the slogans and Just for Today bookmark, but after a year in recovery, I found I resonated more with the meetings and people of these two fellowships, so I attend these groups more regularly. I go to these fellowships because having that hour or two of dedicated recovery time is really powerful for me, no matter what the fellowship is. With my schedule and the meetings available, this way I am often able to go to two or more 12-step meetings a week. Whereas when I started out and was only going to Al-Anon, I could only attend it once a week. My work schedule allowed it. One slogan that helped me a lot as I was trying new meetings was, take what you like and leave the rest. So opening up my recovery to more fellowships had a really positive impact for me in terms of my week in recovery. What works for me is only working one program at a time in terms of actually working the steps. I go to meetings and read literature from all, but when I'm working the steps, I find it works best for me to stick with one program at a time. I think the steps are pretty similar, but I do love the slight differences between each fellowship because the wording and how that comes up as a different focus in my life. For example, step one in Al-Anon is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. Step one in ACA is we admitted we were powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction that our lives had become unmanageable. And step one in CODA is we admitted we were powerless over others that our lives had become unmanageable. I really loved the Surrender to Win episode and resonated a lot with what Barb shared and was so excited to hear some more about the ACA program and suggest that maybe doing a CODA episode could be a suggested topic for the future. In our CODA meetings, we read the patterns and characteristics of codependence. For me, I found that a few of these patterns were spot on for me and others I didn't resonate with at all, and it has helped me identify many of my character defects and use awareness and the 12-step tools to slowly let go of these old coping skills that no longer serve me. It is a lot, but in my opinion, it is very powerful. The only requirement for membership in CODA is a desire for healthy and fulfilling relationships with ourselves and others. And thank you, Gina, for that. Gina did send a PDF of the CODA patterns and characteristics of codependence document. I will put a link for that in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 326. Hi, this is Caroline, and I was calling about the episode you're doing about working multiple programs. I've been in Al-Anon for several years now, and I have recently completed all 12 steps. Late last year, I joined Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. That is actually really an amazing complimentary program. I know the name can be really off-putting, um, but those two work together really well, and I have found that there are a ton of Al-Anons and other 12-step people in that program, I, a lot of AA, Al-Anon, CODA, other programs as well, and it's actually few and far between that I know people that are only in that program and not in another program. In my Al-Anon program, pretty much all the meetings I go to ask you not to reference other fellowships by name, and with Sex and Love Anonymous, I wouldn't reference it by name anyway. Um, the anonymity is definitely important to me, and I did use a pseudonym for my name here. But in SLAW, they they don't really have that guideline. And so a lot of people will mention other programs and things they've learned in other programs. The only time I have ever mentioned an hour on that I'm in another program was when I was talking about the fourth step, which I am working on in SLAW right now, and how uh, how amazing it has been because I am working it like fully and my SLAW sponsor asked me to include resentments that I've had in the past, even if I no longer have them. 
So, of course, I included everything that was on my first doorstep, and it was just amazing to me to look at that and recognize that I really no longer have those resentments, and it is the miracle of 12 steps. And I'd had that nine step miracle in Al Anon. So I definitely do reference, since I'm newer in law, I do reference some of the recovery that I have from Al Anon in that program. And I don't do it so much the other way around. And I will just also say about law, it is a really truly amazing program. And I talked, I talked with a, a program sister about it at one point. And we were saying, you should call it self-love abundance anonymous <laughs> i think more people would be willing to go to it. Um, it it's been incredibly helpful and just so complimentary to al-anon um, i think al-anon coda and Sla really are the relationship programs and Sla just teaches you how to have really healthy kind loving non-toxic drama-free love relationships and i think that's something most al-anons need to learn because i think you know we struggle in all our relationships Anyway, that is what I have to share. I'm really looking forward to this episode, and thank you so much for all your service. Hi, Spencer. This is Kelly. Kelly M. here. Gosh, I have been listening to your show since 2015. You'll remember I had a concussion, and I couldn't get to my regular meetings, I was just looking at how many podcasts I've listened to over the years, and I've basically listened to 280, so pretty much 40 left that I haven't listened to. What I do is I just hit play on my phone when I'm walking or whatever, and I just let it run, you know, and I hear what I need to hear at that time. So hello to all your listeners. I wanted to share actually about being a double winner. Yeah, I I realized I had a problem with alcohol last year after I spent about an hour composing you an email about why why I wasn't an alcoholic. So I'm coming up to a year now in AA and over 10 in Al-Anon. It's really different working AA. I'm really grateful I have all my Al-Anon recovery. I would find it too hard otherwise. <laughs> and I probably always have been an alcoholic. It just didn't become unmanageable until I was isolated, living in a different culture. It's funny now at, at the moment with COVID going on and, and the isolation the world is feeling and how connection with others is so important. So, yeah, I, I, I realized my problem once I was totally isolated and that ended up being culturally too. So, yeah, it's very different. And I... I don't really know where to start. My, you know, AA sobriety is really early. I'm very early in that recovery. One thing I did want to add is over the years, I've touched on a few different programs from Sex and Love Addiction, Overeaters Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, Underearners Anonymous, and they've all given me tools at different times to, you know, work with an issue that's arisen in my recovery. But the the key for me, I think, too, that's been really important in, in AA, I was so angry towards my qualifiers, what qualified me for Al-Anon. And I, I had such disdain for alcoholics. And 
you know, I had gone to a few AA meetings. I'd gone to some, you know, conventions and what have you. But I've really just kept away from from them, <laughs> the dark side. And yeah, it really is what a big lesson, you know, to find out that I'm one. If you can't beat him, join him. So that's something I notice in Al-Anon is a lot of the members don't have that animosity towards alcoholics that I had. <laughs> so, but for the grace of God, go I, and and there I went. So thanks so much and lots of love and gratitude to all your listeners and for doing the show, Spencer. Bye-bye. Hi, Spencer. This is Lisa, and I was calling in response to being a member of two programs. My primary program is AA, and I am also a member of Al-Anon. I am very active in both programs, and I do have a sponsor in each program. I've worked the steps with my sponsor in AA first, and after one year of sobriety and having completed the steps, I moved into Al-Anon and became active in it as well. I currently live with someone who is still drinking, and we do not label others alcoholics, but I would say that their drinking is very typical of an alcoholic. So in order for me to stay sober, I need the support of the Al-Anon program. I don't believe that I could stay sober just through being in AA. I need both programs because I live with a very heavy alcoholic drinker. I also have family members and grew up in an alcoholic home. But I've learned, I feel like in my AA program, I learned more about myself. And in my Al-Anon program, I learned more about dealing with others, specifically the ability not to feel guilty that my drinking may cause other people to drink. I just love the saying, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. And that also means that my alcoholism does not cause another person to drink. We all pick that up and choose it on our own. And the gift of detachment and kindness is a huge part of my Al-Anon program. So a couple of things I have learned that it's interesting. In my AA meetings, it is people freely speak about Al-Anon. But in Al-Anon, I have been told we do not share if we are in another program. also learned recently that the World Service book specifically says if you are in AA, you cannot serve as a general service rep or a district rep, which that was news to me. Since that position is coming up in my group, I showed interest in Marcy writes, Hey, Spencer, I may be too late for the cutoff on your episode about dual recovery. Aside from Spencer, obviously. Not quite. Came in, I think, the day before I started putting this together. I wanted to try and share my perspective with you. I've been in another program, OA, for about six and a half years. 
That program taught me how to stop abusing food and taught me how to have a healthy relationship with it and use it for its intended purpose. I learned that within the first few years, and I just kept waiting for the miracles to happen. I kept waiting for the serenity and the peace that people talked about. I kept waiting to have an understanding of other people and how to live life on life's terms. Thankfully, about three months ago, my wife found Al-Anon, and after reading something in one of the books, she shared with me that she thought I would qualify for Al-Anon myself. I laughed and told her I wasn't allowed to be an Al-Anon because I was a food addict. I decided to check it out anyway, and I do qualify. And thanks to Al-Anon, now I know where to find serenity and where to find how to live life on life's terms. My food addiction is a symptom of something else, a symptom of how I was raised and the way I was treated as a child. Now I know I need to start there, and Al-Anon helps me do that. I have found more peace and serenity and tools in the short three months I've been in Al-Anon than I have in many years in my other program. To sum it up, OA helped me to stop abusing food, and Al-Anon is helping me to stop abusing myself. Such a wonderful gift that I never thought I would receive. I'm grateful to my wife for suggesting Al-Anon to me, grateful to your podcast for helping me learn about Al-Anon, Grateful to OA for getting me out of the 400-pound food hell I was in. Marcy. Hi, Spencer. Thank you for your hard work on um, putting out this awesome recovery podcast. It's a really huge gift to the international recovery community, so thank you. I am a grateful member of Al-Anon, and I also am a member of ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and CODA, Codependence Anonymous. For me, I think that all three really supplement each other well. I came into Al-Anon a few years ago with a pretty typical uh, crisis moment. I came, you know, on my hands and knees because the alcoholic in my life had a breakdown and just like it turned our whole family upside down and for quite a few months, it was it was a really difficult, challenging crisis, I felt like, in, in all facets of our life. Now, a few years in, I really like attending ACA and CODA because it helps me just deepen my recovery and take the focus even more onto myself um, and just go like a little bit deeper. I am an adult child of an alcoholic. And so I really resonate with ACA, like especially the, the slight change of wording in their steps. For example, step one is we admitted we were powerless over the effects of living with alcoholism and that our lives had become unmanageable. And that really speaks to me in some moments more than maybe just saying I'm powerless over others and powerless over alcohol or the alcoholic because sometimes I'm powerless over the effects of living with alcohol growing up, meaning that, you know, I have coping mechanisms and survival skills that are no, that no longer serve me and are actually now basically adding to my struggle on a day-to-day basis. And this step really, yeah, it just really hits that more for me than, than some of the literature in Al-Anon does, or just some of like the step wording. And I love step three. We made a decision to practice self-love and to trust in a higher power of our understanding. And for me, that takes a great uh, new perspective on step three in Al-Anon because it gives me a new action and another way to look at turning my will and my life over to my higher power by connecting to self-care, connecting to self-love. So I really love that. And yeah, I just think it is 
it just goes one step deeper into studying the family disease of alcoholism and trauma and how these patterns, these thinking patterns, behaviors are so generational because like I've learned a lot more about how I am and how other people, members of my family are who aren't alcoholics, but they're para-alcoholics or people who have experienced other dysfunction or trauma. And so that, that part, yeah, I was really able to find an ACA where I didn't find it as much in Al-Anon when I was focusing so much on at first coming in because of the alcoholic and the languaging of the literature reminds me of that often. And then looking on myself, focusing on myself, it just goes that much deeper into focusing on my own recovery. And the other program, which is incredible, is CODA, Codependence Anonymous. And, you know, I'm really surprised personally that the Al-Anon literature doesn't have as much reference to the word codependency. I think there it's often sort of the subtext and underlying in a lot of our readings around control, vice, you know, maybe focusing on others, low self-esteem patterns. Like there's really a lot of ways that shows up. But I just really like how clear CODA is. And it's it's almost what Al-Anon would be considered the character defects. This is just another vehicle to kind of look at those tendencies. So for example, there is a document in their literature called Recovery Patterns of Codependence with compliance patterns, control patterns, low self-esteem patterns, and in our meeting, we read, says the following checklist is offered as a tool to aid self-evaluation. It may be particularly helpful to newcomers as they begin to understand codependency. It may aid those who have been in recovery a while to determine what traits still need attention and transformation. The ones that really stick out to me and felt like they had a huge overlap with Al-Anon in my experience were these three. Codependence often attempt to convince others what to think, do, or feel. In recovery, I accept the thoughts, choices, and feelings of others, even though I may not be comfortable with them. Codependents often freely offer advice and direction without being asked. In recovery, I give advice only when asked. Codependents often use blame and shame to exploit others emotionally. In recovery, I ask directly for what I want and need and trust the outcome to my higher power. I do not try to manipulate outcomes with blame or shame. So, yeah, I just wanted to share my experience and how I really feel like ACA and CODA have given me new perspectives and ways to approach recovery and look at myself and help me figure out who my real true self is, uh, which, you know, for me, since I was so enmeshed in alcoholism and the family disease at such an early age, instead of it being sort of like a restoring to sanity, it's really finding clarity and my true self, which is kind of what the ACA step two is. So it's really been, it's really been a great journey and I'm grateful that I have these three programs. So thank you so much for letting me share. Again, thanks to everybody who called or wrote. I do not have your experience, and I'm really glad you shared it with us. 
After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. I did pick some music for this episode. The first one, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 326, is Sinead O'Connor with the song, Feel So Different. She starts the song with the serenity prayer. Some lyrics here. I am not like I was before. I thought that nothing would change me. I was not listening anymore. Still, you continued to affect me. I was not thinking anymore, although I said I still was. I'd said I don't want anymore because of bad experience. And now I feel so different. I think some of today's callers and writers expressed that feeling of feeling different, maybe feeling not completely at home in one program and finding another one that fills that other piece. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? I want to start out by thanking several of you who sent me an announcement for the online roundup, Al-Anon Without Borders. I did add a link to the online meetings page at the Recovery Show website, which is therecovery.show slash online. The first weekend will be over by the time this episode is published, but they've promised a second weekend on April 4th and 5th, which should still be in the future. When I put this episode online, it may be in the past by the time you're listening. And I did get an email from a listener yesterday who said, wow, I tried to sign in, but it had maxed out at a thousand listeners. Apparently with the technology they're using, that is the max. So I guess if you want to listen, I don't know, get in early or something. So how's how's my week been? And how have I used recovery in my week? I think I've used recovery almost every moment this week because this week is, in that phrase, the new normal, not normal. A friend of mine prefers to say we're embracing the crazy rather than saying, no, this is just the way it's going to be, which... I think they've, they've both got some truth to them. Settling into the routine of working online, lots of meetings with various video chat programs, and also trying not to get overwhelmed by it is a thing. I get reminded when, for example, I have to go to the store and there's signs all over the place and wipes for the handles of the shopping cart and lots of people wearing masks and gloves. I went to Costco the other day. There was a very long line to get in when they opened. Seemed like a very long line with all of us standing at least six feet apart. They were limiting the store to 400 people. 400 seems like a lot of people, but I tell you what, the place felt pretty darn empty. You know, I had to get a few things. My wife has been moved to working from home and she needed a new laptop. Where do you get that during the lockdown, during the shelter in place? Well, you go to Costco, right? Or one of those other big box stores that has groceries and thus is still open. The selection was small, but we found one that will suit. I said to her, what else should I get? Is there anything else we need? She said, I'm feeling a need of some berries and cake. Like, I understand that. When things are weird, you want some cake, 
you want some nice raspberries or something. So we, I got those two. And then checking out again, X's on the floor, six feet apart, reminding us where to stand, not handing my card to the cashier, but instead holding it while she scans it. Little differences just makes it a little weird. But, you know, life goes on, right? This social distancing term, a friend of mine was quite adamant yesterday as we chatted online that we don't want to be socially distant. We want to be physically distant and continue to be social. She said, you know, we've been given this phrase, social distancing, and I don't like it. And I understand what she means. And, and also, I've seen this happening. My dog insists that we go out for, uh, he's in the room, so I'm not going to say the word. We go out uh, at least a couple times a day, preferably much more often if he had his way. And I'm out there on the sidewalks walking along, and, and there are other people. And we smile at each other and we wave and we walk around each other six feet apart at least or across the street. But I actually feel like, and this this happened on Friday, it was a nice day and there were a lot of people out and I felt like we're being more social with people we don't know than has been the common experience before this situation. You know, we need to be social. We need other people. Even those of us who, I think those of us who are introverts, we still need some contact with other people. Although, you know, as a friend of mine joked, this is the introvert's dream, right? Live in the dream. I'm not sure. I think it's possible to feel drained of energy in the presence of other people, but still need them. I, mostly an extrovert, I like spending time with other people, but I also need my my quiet time, my alone time. You know, recognizing the complexity of myself is a gift that recovery has given to me, the inventory process and the self-examination and finding and being given the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, that I am sheltering in place, that we had dinner last night with our adult children by video because we can't physically see them at the moment. My daughter has probably been exposed so far, has no symptoms. Even if the current law allowed, I don't think I'd want to be close enough to her to possibly get the thing if she has it. I hope she doesn't. But we can only wait and see and be grateful that we have food, we have shelter, we have internet, so we can do this thing. So it's been a crazy week. It's been a week of new forms of connection. My small group that has been working the steps together has been unable to meet, obviously. And yesterday, we had a Zoom meeting together, including a member who had moved away about six months ago, and we had sort of lost touch with. We were able to all talk together again from our separate abodes and we've decided to continue working the steps on our regular schedule, but online. So reconnecting and connecting. Alina sent us a couple of shares. 
one on spiritual awakening, which is episode 53 on step 12, and one about tradition one, episode 55. Hi, this is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 53 about having had a spiritual awakening. This is a difficult one for me because I don't know necessarily... I guess I've never really discussed this with my sponsor, so it made me really think about it. Maybe this is something that her and I need to like delve into a little more. I know that there's times where I feel... Like everything happens for a reason and I try to have faith and just turn my will over to God and see that he takes care of, you know, what I can't do at the moment as far as having strength or if I'm worrying about something or if I'm consumed with something. As far as spiritual awakening, I guess I would just have to say that I know a lot of times when I go to meetings, I feel that way. When I get there, there's some sort of whether it's the words, the people, or just a feeling, I do feel comforted when I leave a meeting. So I do feel a lot better once I leave. So I don't know. But I really like the topic. I thought it was interesting just to hear. And I do carry the message. I know that it's important just to share your experience, strength, and hope. And so that's why, you know, I tend to communicate with my sponsor, let her know how I'm feeling. I've been doing like a an inventory. I was doing it almost daily for a while, but I need to get back into doing that just of my personal inventory through the end of the day. I can just kind of jot down or just kind of tell her, you know, what I'm dealing with. I do have an Al-Anon friend too that I discuss a lot of things with and we both help each other out. I didn't realize that when you reason things out with someone, it does make a big difference. You know, she'll reason things out with me and I can learn a lot from her. And just having that support system makes a huge difference. I'm really not the type of person that has trouble reaching out. I know sometimes when I'm at a meeting and I like what somebody shared, I don't have a problem going up to them after the meeting and just expressing how I feel. I've always been that kind of person or calling or texting them and just saying, I really liked what you had to say and, and, I can relate to this or that. So I don't know. I just think that it's important to carry the message, you know, offering that support also and just making people feel like that they're being validated because that's so important, at least for me, when I feel validated, whether somebody, you know, and you don't have to agree with somebody, just the fact that you acknowledge what they're saying and it's their feelings and everyone's different and everyone's on a different level and everyone's going through similar yet different situations. We just have to accept that for what it is. Anyways, I really enjoyed the topic. I like the shares and everything and what people discussed. And that's all. Thank you. I wanted to share on episode 55, which was on tradition one about uh, unity. You know, I believe that this is all true. I mean, we are there for each other. We can only support each other and having unity is so important. And I'm glad that Al-Anon does have these traditions to reflect back on and kind of remind us of what the program means and what it stands for. I was reading the little descriptions and stuff like that. And and I have been in a meeting where there's been some dominating going on and it was really uncomfortable and it was very obvious. At that point, it kind of makes me wonder, just stop going to the meeting. Is there a way to 
have that addressed. I mean, I guess you could go to a group conscience or put it on that. But as far as, you know, my current meeting, it's kind of getting a little bit like that where sometimes I do feel uncomfortable and I do feel like things are kind of, you know, not right, but it's not every single time I go to that meeting, but it's every once in a while. And I guess it just depends on the group that's there. I don't know what their intentions are and I don't know if it's purposefully being done, but I do know that it does make me feel uncomfortable. And I know I've talked to my sponsor about it too. And, you know, we've kind of discussed things to do to try another meeting or see how that goes. And maybe it's just God's will to make us think about our shares and what our shares mean to everybody and just putting it out there and sharing it at a meeting. But I do like the program and I think that unity does play a big role in everything like that. So anyway, that's all I have to share today. Thank you. Thank you, Alina, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And Krista sent a share on the episode titled Juggling Versus Balance, episode 37. My favorite memory from that is the image of walking down the sidewalk juggling chainsaws, which if you listen to it, I'm sure you'll encounter it. Hi, everyone. It's Krista from Nevada. I just wanted to call and share about one of your earlier episodes, Juggling versus Balance. For me, when I think of balance, I think about when I was young or little that I used to be, you know, on the teeter-totter at the playground and usually somebody on the other side was bigger And so depending on the difference, I could either lean forward a little bit or I could lean back a little bit or I could do something like that. I guess usually lean back. I could also choose not to play because depending on who was bigger on the other side, they could make it really uncomfortable for me if they pushed me up and I bounced and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was my choice really to play or not play or I could ask someone to join me and then still it would be like kind of random, you know, I'd have to not sit on the seat and it was kind of weird. I could ask for help or again, I could just choose not to play. And so that's kind of how I think of balance. I feel like for me, I know when I'm not in balance because I don't have serenity. And then I think about it and I am really struggling or trying to juggle things. And that's not cool because that's when I end up getting stressed out and again, losing all my serenity. So when that happens, just like with the teeter-totter, I have to figure out what I'm going to do about that. So I have to make a choice. I have to let something go. I have to ask for help. I have to reorganize, reprioritize, use my tools all the tools that help me because sometimes you can't avoid all the extra stresses, but it sure helps me when I put them in order about what's really important versus what isn't, you know, how important is it? Anyway, I appreciate all that you're doing and I hope you're all having a great day and that y'all have a good week. Thank you, Krista. Upcoming, I've got a conversation with a member I'm not sure what our topic is. That'll be next week. And still putting together a couple of other episodes with your help. One on practicing the 12 steps, working the 12 steps as an atheist or agnostic or 
someone with, as somebody put it, a non-traditional spiritual tradition. Although I think all spiritual traditions are traditional in some culture, or they wouldn't be traditions. Okay. The other one is, what are your meetings like? And what are your meetings like now? How are you meeting online? How is it different? How is it the same? Please share. You can call and leave a voicemail, 734-707-8795. You can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. You can use the voicemail button on the website, or you can record a share using the voice memo application on your phone or computer and email it to feedback at therecovery.show. So many different ways. You can find them all at therecovery.show slash contact. And of course, the website is therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode. This one will be at therecovery.show slash 326. We'll include links to a whole bunch of things that that we're talking about today, along with uh, music that we're talking about, YouTube videos, presumably. We would love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope. Okay, the mailbag's pretty full this week, too. But before we get there, our second musical selection is available on the website at therecovery.show slash 326. The song title is No One. It's by Jess Glynn. And the lyrics here spoke to me about finding some connection, maybe finding more than one connection. Swimming in the deep end with nowhere to go. My body's on the journey and my mind can't let go. I'm falling into nothing. Tell me what's left to lose. For I knew where I was going and now I know I need you. And I need you and we need each other. That was me, not the lyrics. As I said, we got a lot of email and voicemail this week. Mary Lou sent some links to news articles about how people are practicing recovery and just connecting online during the pandemic. News article titled, With Meetings Banned, Millions Struggle to Stay Sober on Their Own from the New York Times. As Life Moves Online, an Older Generation Faces a Digital Divide, also from the New York Times. Eight Tips for Hosting the Perfect Virtual Hangout. That's from a site called The Lily. And I thought that one had some good ideas. Eating Alone Together. Virtual dinner parties are helping people fight isolation. That one's from the Washington Post. Did that last night. The New Sound of Worship Services. Can you mute your mic? Amen. Also from the Washington Post. Last week, I think it was last week, I posted a link to an infographic from Matthew. He sent a voicemail reminding us about it with a little bit of an excerpt from it as well. And I will also put a link again this week. Well, I'll let Matthew describe it. Hey, Spencer, it's Matthew S. I uh, was listening to your podcast this morning and appreciate your service. Uh, Difficult time for us during the period of social distancing, and I'm sure you've had that request for a meeting topic. I actually wanted to share some solution. I emailed you a infographic. That's something I do as part of my job to make infographics. I made one on nine tips for coping with social distancing, and uh, happy to share that with anybody. 
Uh, I'm going to read just a couple that I wrote on here to help people. One was make a gratitude list, and I wrote, you can't be hateful if you're grateful. Sounds corny, but it works. Gratitude changes brain chemistry. Write down five things you're grateful for every day. Share the list with a friend or coworker. Or write an A to Z list if you're really down. Anything you can be grateful for, from apples to zebras. Google neuroscience of gratitude to read the studies. And then the other one that I wrote on here of the nine was helping others. Doing service for others is a great way to take a mental break and avoid panic. When you're feeling overwhelmed, call a friend or family member and say, Tell me about your problems so I don't have to think about mine. Calling a sequestered senior citizen or relative and keeping them company over the phone and donating sanitizer or toilet paper to a neighbor or writing an inspirational post on social media. Godspeed and help to everybody. Thanks. We've got a voicemail from Deborah talking about how she is practicing recovery during the time of isolation. Hi, Spencer. This is Deborah from Florida. Just wanted to leave you a quick message. I hope all is well with you and your family and you're staying healthy and safe. Uh, and I also send you prayers for your father. I know in your last podcast you mentioned that you were visiting him in New York and he'd gone through some issues. So hope everything is going well there. And I, I also wanted to commend you and thank you for keeping up the podcast during such a difficult time for all of us, the country, the world. This time is when we really do need voices of calm and reassurance. Just as all of us dealing with alcoholism have always needed calm and reassurance and serenity, but especially now, it's just such a difficult time. As I'm staying in touch with my Al-Anon friends, and I'm going to be attending my first Zoom Al-Anon meeting. I'm, saying I'm pretty excited about that. I've really missed my meetings since we've started isolating. But I, I realized as I was thinking about that this morning that those of us with the 12-step program at a higher power are so much better prepared and equipped with tools to see us through this time of just chaos and crisis. It's just another benefit of this program in my life. I'm not sure where my head would be sitting in self-imposed isolation without my Al-Anon tools and friends. And I wanted to share something on my reading this morning in ODAT on March 23rd. My note at the top of this page, which was probably from 10 years ago, says, am I trying to be the boss? And I thought, oh, I bet this is going to be a good reading for me today. Let me read just a little bit of it. Am I being perfectly honest and fair when I meddle and manipulate? Am I really letting the alcoholic live his own life, or am I trying to be the boss? Al-Anon's principles set a pattern for me to work on myself and to stop interfering with others. The words for this procedure are hands-off. And as you know, my favorite phrase is hands-off, pays-off. Attending to my own business will keep me from becoming a slave to a situation. That is why I will not get myself involved too deeply. This will set me free to work out my own salvation. As I make my choices of how to spend my days in isolation, I want to be my son's boss. Yeah, a little bit, a little part of me wants to. He's in L.A., 3,000 miles away, fresh on the road to recovery and isolated, which is not a good place for an alcoholic. But do I want to spend my time hovering on my son and, you know, try and manage his behavior from 3,000 miles away as I worry about him during this pandemic? Or do I want to meditate, clean up my closets, work out, walk? 
listen to podcasts, read, watch positive movies and documentaries, and be my own boss. So I'm choosing the latter. Uh, I'm taking this difficult time as a real opportunity to work on me. I've actually downloaded a bunch of meditation apps, a bunch of workout apps, and I'm using them, which I always found an excuse to not. And it's really helping. It's helping me get through this crisis and not be as anxious and worried. I loved your podcast this morning on fear and anxiety. Um, really putting a lot of faith in my higher power. I am so grateful to have my higher power through this difficult time. Grateful to have Al-Anon, all my Al-Anon friends, my sponsor, my sponsees, and just all the great people in Al-Anon. I feel like we're really blessed that we have this 12-step program to help us get through tough times, and this is one of them. So stay healthy and safe. Thank you so much for all you do. And for anyone who is listening out there who ever has a desire to maybe connect and be a co-host or speaker on one of uh, Spencer's podcasts, I'll just tell you, it is, he makes it so easy, so comfortable. I was nervous. I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, and, and it worked out great. And you edit beautifully, thank you, because I know I rambled, and you probably had to use your editing skills to make that make a lot of sense. So thank you so much for all you do, and I hope you get a lot of great more podcasts coming out to us. We need them out here. Thank you. Take care. And after Gina sent her share on being a dual program member, she also sent an update with some info on adult children of alcoholics. Hi, Spencer. I forgot to attach the info for an ACA podcast, which listeners might be interested in. It is called Tuesday Toolbox, and each episode seems like an experienced strength and hope speakers share for about 15 to 20 minutes. Here is the link, which will be in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 326. I've said that a few times already today. She continues, Also, I went to an ACA meeting tonight, and the promises really stood out to me even more than normal, so I wanted to share with you and your listeners. Here are the ACA promises. We will discover our real identities by loving and accepting ourselves. Our self-esteem will increase as we give ourselves approval on a daily basis. Fear of authority figures and the need to people-please will leave us. Our ability to share intimacy will grow inside us. As we face our abandonment issues, we will be attracted by strengths and become more tolerant of weaknesses. We will enjoy feeling stable, peaceful, and financially secure. We will learn how to play and have fun in our lives. We will choose to love people who can love and be responsible for themselves. Healthy boundaries and limits will become easier for us to set. With help from our ACA support group, we will slowly release our dysfunctional behaviors. Gradually, with our higher power's help, we will learn to expect the best and get it. And there's a link to those premises on the website. She continues, I'm looking forward to hearing the dual program episode. I would also appreciate to hear an episode on or any shares from anyone who's been estranged from a parent or family member due to alcoholism or having to detach with an ax for a period of time in order to keep emotional and physical safety. I'm interested to hear some experience, strength, and hope from anyone who has ever experienced this and how they moved forward. Thanks so much. Appreciate your service, Spencer, and everyone who contributes to the podcast. Kindly, Gina. Well, thank you, Gina, for contributing to the podcast with that share. And the ACA promises are definitely, you know, very promising. Oh, wow. I can do better than that. Diana left the voicemail with a topic idea. 
Hey, Spencer, I had a topic idea maybe you could throw out to your audience about humility. And I think related to that is self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves, forgiving ourselves and forgiving others, being too much of a perfectionist, setting unrealistic expectation and then being disappointed. I think humility is very much a part of program. It's something that I'm working through constantly. There's a balance to be found there between aiming for high goals and being a perfectionist, but then also humbling yourself and being grateful for what you do have and being okay to to admit your humanity and reach out and not be so hard and critical on yourself, but also not get into self-pity because there's some traps there. There's a balance to be struck between that health that you find where you're living, learning from your mistakes, and so on and so forth. So humility, topic idea. Thanks. Thanks, Diana. Yes, that's that's a good one. I think that's probably on the massive list of things we could talk about someday. Maybe I'll try to push a little higher. Thanks. Ginger wrote, Dear Spencer, I'm grateful for your share on fear and anxiety. And that was episode 324, I believe. When I heard you speak of your dad and his journey with Alzheimer's, which you and your siblings are so courageously walking with him, it brought back many memories of a not-so-distant past, as well as the present I find myself in today. My husband and I were the primary caregivers for his mom, who had lung cancer, and his dad, who had Alzheimer's. We were so fortunate that they lived in a house just a walk through the backyard from our own. Two years ago, within seven months, three parents— his mother, his father, and then three weeks later, my father passed away. I don't share this to share fear or self-pity. I share this so I may express the many blessings I experienced within this journey. God invites me daily to grow, to be in relationship with him, with myself and with others, and I experience this with each parent. What a privilege and a blessing, and thank God for recovery, for without recovery I can't imagine. What I learned from walking with my father-in-law, Art, He taught me that the present moment is a millisecond, and I could meet him there with a touch, a smile, a silent connection, or a cookie. I could connect through his long-ago memories and join him on a trip to Germany or a first date with a young lady named Sally. As time went by and the disease took more of him, I was given the invitation to lose the constructs of what I believe a day needed to look like. For me, day was day, night was night. But as I watched the disease overtake art, I let go, and in that letting go, I was free to love and care in a whole new way. Over 15 years ago, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal written by an adult child of a parent with Alzheimer's describing how he learned to meet his aging father in the now, his now, wherever now was for him. That article coupled with my recovery tools were pillars for my husband and me as we navigated through the hills and valleys of art's disease. Acceptance is the key and the gift I found as I walked alongside each parent as they courageously transitioned. Now I find myself once again walking the same yet different journey with my mom as she faces the challenges of pancreatic cancer. She has come to live with us as of a week ago, since the rehab facility is not safe during the current situation. I am praying to stay open to the will of my higher power and grateful for the days ahead, knowing that each one will come with its own special invitation for me to grow. Spencer, my prayers to you, your family, and your dad. May you find comfort and peace in the unfolding. Be well. Ginger L. 
Jack writes in response to this episode 324 on fear and anxiety. Hi, Spencer. I just listened to your episode 324, and all I can say is, wow, absolutely exactly what I needed to hear this morning. I've been struggling with the amount of uncertainty in my life, as all of us are, with the effects of coronavirus, self-isolation, job security, plus add in my husband's ongoing battle with depression, all of which is overwhelming. We had a company meeting yesterday using GoToMeeting, since we are all working from home, where the executive team gave a very transparent view of how this pandemic is affecting our company, including different scenarios of how the business will look three and six months from now. It was frightening, but also hopeful. Add to this the long hours I've been putting in to support my boss, our CFO, and not sleeping well has me a bit strung out with anxiety. Fortunately, our Al-Anon group is doing Zoom meetings, which are fantastic and a saving grace. On Saturday morning, we had 50 attendees, which was wonderful. It's not the same as in person, but obviously much safer in today's world. I will pray for your parents and also for you and your siblings at this very difficult time. Thank you again for your service. You are truly making a difference in my life, and hearing your voice is an anchor for me in these turbulent waters. Take care, Jack. And he writes again, FYI, we have had a phone list with email addresses for our group for many years, which we update annually. Before everyone started self-isolating, we decided to set up a group email address so we could make group announcements and also to add Zeely to our group checking account for ease of electronic donations. Once we decided to use Zoom for our meetings, it was very easy to send out weekly announcements regarding meeting times and meeting IDs so that we could spread the word. Our group has been in existence for over 20 years, and the camaraderie, love, friendship, and trust we all share is absolutely mind-blowing. I'm so very grateful to have our group and also the Recovery Show. I am very blessed. Jack D. Renee has a question. Hi there. I love your show. Thank you for it. Last night, I listened to the show about recovery, sayings, and proverbs from June 2019 twice and looked for the transcript this morning, but I'm not finding it. Can you help me with that, please? Thank you, Renee. And Renee's referring to episode 292, which we don't have a transcript up for. And I, I wrote back, I said, well, you know, I'd started doing transcripts relying on volunteers to actually edit the transcripts and, and make them, you know, not perfect, but better than the automated transcription service does. And I kind of slacked on that. I've got a bunch of shows that that have transcripts awaiting editing. So if you're interested in doing that, and I did send episode 292 to Renee for that. She, she said, yeah, that would be great. Maybe as you're home, you have more time that you could spend um, on service to fellow listeners. Just email me, feedback at therecovery.show, and I'll, I'll hook you up with an episode to transcribe. Marcy writes, Hey, Spencer, just finished listening to episode 325 about recovery in a time of isolation and have a few thoughts to share. I've been in recovery for about six and a half years, but I'm new to Al-Anon. I've been using phone meetings for several years and found it funny that you and your co-host didn't re- you know they existed. I really related when your co-host shared about being on a phone meeting and the host said they were used to having about 12 people and that meeting had 100. From the perspective of someone who solely uses phone meetings for their recovery program, it's been a huge adjustment for us regulars to adapt to the influx of new people. I have had to really put my three months of Al-Anon to the test and practice loads of patience while the newcomers learn the flow of the meetings, how to work the phone controls, and learn phone etiquette. 
To you and your listeners, I say, welcome to the phone bridge. We are happy to have you. Once you learn the ropes and figure out how to mute and unmute yourself, all will be well. Marcy. Thanks, Marcy, for writing that. You know, I knew phone meetings existed. I just had, I don't think I've ever actually participated in a phone bridge meeting. I know Eric, who is on the show fairly regularly, has. But uh, I had participated in a couple of online meetings at a time when I was really busy, and, and it was nice to have those available. And now we all are. Yeah. So thanks for writing. Thanks for sharing that experience. And yeah, we all have to learn how to do this new thing. Logan also writes about isolation. I'm so grateful for your episode 325. I've been struggling with social distancing and the feeling of isolation. I've been able to start several Zoom meetings for my regular Al-Anon meetings. I too have been grateful for the ability to be on the Zoom meetings and for your podcast. I find myself needing the connection to the program and my Al-Anon family more during this time. Thank you for your podcast and thank you to everyone out there who's doing service by hosting alternate ways to meet. Logan. Thank you, Logan. And Craig also. Hi, Spencer. My home group held its second virtual meeting using Zoom this week. Last week, we had a dozen people participating in the first Zoom meeting. This week, we had 37 participating. Progress, not perfection. The topic for our meeting was Concept 3, The Right of Decision Makes Effective Leadership Possible. My share was on how this concept was helping me this past week, which was the second week for us under social distancing, schools closed, and working from home. I have been relying heavily on the program literature, meditation, and prayer this week. I've had to let go and let everyone in my home have the right to decide how they react to the changes and losses we are experiencing. Adding to the mix is the act of drinking in our home and my teenager's reaction to their mother's progressing disease. I recognize the importance of putting the focus on me and my recovery to show my children that there is hope and recovery is possible. A program of attraction rather than promotion. Concept 3 tells me that by focusing on my recovery and being available to my children to talk about how they are feeling, that their higher power can lead them to recovery from this familial, multi-generational disease. Thank you again for all you do for keeping on with the podcast. It has been an invaluable part of my journey of recovery. Craig from Alberta, Canada. Thank you for sharing that, Craig. Yeah, boy, social distancing, isolation, and active drinking. A difficult combination, I guess, huh? One thing that I guess I'll experience today, apparently Zoom lets you break up a call into what they call breakout rooms. And I think we might be looking at that for some of our online meetings as they grow. My church is going to experiment with this today. The service which last week was on Zoom and had some technical difficulties. Well, this week will be on YouTube live. But following that, they will open up a Zoom chat with the breakout rooms for people who want to socialize after the service. And so I'll see how that works for us. But that that might be something that you want to look at if you feel your meetings getting too big for effective sharing and you're using Zoom. I want to thank... Molly, Sly, Candy, and Angela again for supporting our continuation to help us meet our expenses as we go forward. Thank you. The last song that I chose here maybe seems a little odd, but bear with me for a moment. You can listen to this again at therecovery.show slash 326. 
The singer is Marin Morris. The song is My Church. And some lyrics here. I find holy redemption when I put this car in drive, roll the windows down, and turn up the dial. Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Feels like the Holy Ghost running through you when I play the highway FM. I find my soul revival singing every single verse. And you're like, what the heck is he talking about? Well, we come to our recovery. We come to our higher power in many different ways. And I think this song expresses that very beautifully. So that's why I chose it. There is a playlist of songs that I considered for this episode. At, yeah, here you go again, therecovery.show slash 326. If you scroll to the bottom, you'll find a Spotify playlist. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.